little ones the sleep manual podcast welcome to another episode of the sleep manual the podcast dedicated to helping parents with their little ones sleep hosted by sleep experts myself and nikki hi our, pod- our podcast aims to guide parents through the journey of establishing healthy sleep habits for their babies ensuring restful nights for both infants and parents alike So today we are diving into the topic of creating the ideal sleep environment for your little one. We know that establishing a peaceful space for your baby can make a world of difference to their sleep quality. So let's explore the key elements that contribute to an optimal sleep environment. This is a big one, isn't it, Amanda? It is, it is. So in this episode, we're going to have a look at how you can create a nice sleep zone for your little one that is relaxing and calming and not stimulating. We're gonna look at the power of the dark. Sounds like a Star Wars thing, power of the dark (laughs) side. We're gonna look at the ideal nursery temperature. We are definitely going to be looking at how you can use white noise in your child's sleep space. And of course, um, how you can look at safe sleep for your little one. So we're gonna be covering quite a lot of areas in their sleep environment and all of these things are like Amanda said very very crucial to um, making helping your little one to settle to sleep easier but also to stay asleep a lot better Um, and we actually like to refer to the sleep environment as something that's that's a an easy fix or a Mm. quick win there are a lot of things with factors with baby sleep which you're gonna have to work at a fair bit and there's potentially times where you're going to have to be changing their routine you're going to have to be implementing different methods and that stuff can all take a bit of time to lock in any changes to their sleep environment you can literally do today and you see positive results almost straight away so if you're thinking that there's some stuff that's not quite right as we go through this episode you know by tomorrow your little one could be sleeping a lot better For sure. So I think first of all is making sure that we're setting the stage for Mm. a calming atmosphere inside their um, cot or bassinet or wherever they are sleeping, making sure that there is no um, toys or mobiles Mm -hmm. or musical toys or I've even seen people have those... um, you know, there's play things with like buttons and bells oh, that and they things. push. Yeah, that they push like the sensory board type thing. Yeah, sensory <sighs> board. All of those things do not need to be inside um, their sleeping space. You know, think about your own sleeping space. There will be a bed and nothing else. You know, um, making sure that it's conducive of good sleep it needs to be distraction free and I mean there's a couple reasons for that one is because as your baby gets older anything that is interesting to them they're going to focus on that and they're going to want to touch that or look at that or listen to that and not sleep um and then of course the other reason is they need to be associating their their room and their sleeping space so their their cot or their bassinet with sleep not with playing So sleep associations are a really very strong and important part of getting your little one to sleep well. So you want them to go into their room and associate the room with sleep, not, oh, here I am in the place that I don't sleep and I play. Yeah. (laughs) Because nobody wants that. So if you've already got your little one's nursery set up and you've got a musical mobile, um, this is a big one because people, you know, they're sold as products Mm. to 
to hang over your little one's bed. You turn on as they're going to sleep. Things go around. It's noisy. It's pretty. It's very aesthetic. But um, I promise you that it is not helping your little one sleep. If you're desperate to have it inside their um, room, then one thing that I did with my kids is hung the mobile over where I changed them. Yes, To give them something to think about and play with whilst you're changing them um whether to distract them (laughs) to distract them yeah um to distract them while you change um and it helps you know maybe it has a little musical tune or whatever that also can then be creating a sleep association with next after I get changed after I hear this music you know next is sleep so sort of creating that um routine yeah that's exactly right yeah. So once so ne- once we've removed oh, yeah. anything distracting from the room, where are we going from here? Oh, um, lighting. Lighting yes. plays a crucial role in re- regulating your baby's sleep and wake cycles. So actually yeah. the light and the dark is probably one of the most important elements in your baby's ability to settle and to sleep well. And I think people underestimate the power of these quite primitive forces on our body clock this is how we are built as mammals as humans um, to respond to these stimuli in our environment which um, the light and the dark are massive ones so this is how your body clock is regulated your body your body knows that it's sleep time when it's dark and the light stimulates all these different kinds of processes and responses in your body to let you know that it's time to be awake and alert Um, It's actually super amazing and very fascinating. But to help our little ones sleep, we can recreate that in their sleep environment. Yeah, so we do that by creating a dark room, having blackout blinds or um, shades. Um, you can even temporarily make their room completely blackout if you only if you're renting or if you don't want to have their room blackout for the duration of them being a baby. Although I guarantee. Once you, you won't have, regret it. You won't regret it. Even my eight and nine-year-old, they have a completely dark room now. So, um, or have always had a completely dark room. They sleep, they settle to sleep so much easier mm. when it's dark. Again, when it's dark, it's distraction-free. They can't see the mm. um, cot. The toys and the, the rungs on and, their, mm. yeah, the, even the rungs on their um, cot, you know, they can use that as a musical um, <laughs> instrument. instrument themselves, you know. So it's dark, they can't see, and that means sleep. Because, of um, course, the dark, the dark actually... Um, is where melatonin is produced and released and we all know there's a lot of hype and talk about melatonin these days that melatonin is is affectionately known as the sleep hormone and so you need this we need it we need it in order to sleep and we produce it naturally as part of our circadian rhythm but the the that is stimulated by diminishing light in the evening and then of course by the dark as we're sleeping so if your little one's nursery is very bright um and light and you know this is true for daytime sleeps as well as nighttime sleeps if you're endeavoring to get your little one to nap well having a very dark room is artificially creating that environment where they're going to be encouraged to sleep and you might find that your newborn baby um 
doesn't need it to be as dark, but I can almost guarantee that if your newborn baby starts catnapping or not sleeping very well and they're sleeping in the light, it is because their room is too bright mm. if they've been sleeping in the light. Um, with a newborn, they do have a, a certain amount of melatonin from the mother that is um, still releasing throughout the first few weeks, which keeps them in that sort of sleepy newborn phase. Um, but that does start to wear off, and mm-hmm. then we need they need to start producing their own melatonin, which obviously they need the dark to do that. Yeah. Um, and when we say dark, when we say a dark room, we mean you know, like I have friends who said, "Oh yeah, I've made my child's room dark," and I go and look and. I'm like, this you can still is not. see everything. Yeah, I'm right. I'm like, this is not. This is like having like a dark filter on your room. But we're talking like can't see your hand in front of your face dark, like pitch, pitch black. Yeah, pitch yeah. Black. So and the other thing, actually, the other thing we we need to t- say about the dark in, in the room, Amanda, is the use of night lights because oh, yeah. night lights again, like musical mobiles, are sold and marketed as a tool to use in your baby's room and you can get very cute ones you can get color changing ones and they look amazing and and the marketing around them is pretty incredible but the reality is your baby does not need a nightlight because they are not scared of the dark in fact they don't even realize how much they actually love the dark um, the only reason and they've been you in need... the dark yeah, for that's the last right. nine months. The only reason you would ever need a light in your baby's room is if you were up feeding them or changing them or tending to them in the night, in which case, you know, a very dim red night light is your best choice. Alternatively, you could just have, you know, like the hall light on and a bit of light spill. Or I used to just even use the, fo- the, the light from my phone screen to just kind of see my way around my baby's rooms. In the night, or just a just... really dim, um, even a, like a, a dim lamp. If you're feeding yes. in the night, you yeah. know, we can get lamps these days that dim right down, or hue bulbs, or whatever. You know, yeah. you can have them on their lower settings so that it's not creating but too much. Do of a... not put a night light. I no. guarantee, if you've got a baby, if you've got a child under two, really, yeah, and you have a night light on in their room at night, that is why they're not sleeping. Especially but, blue nightlights. Now, blue yes, nightlights yeah. kill me so much. <laughs> um, blue nightlights, I can only assume, are actually invented by people who don't understand light and don't understand that during the day. Pretty, that's why. No, it's because during the day, blue is seems really dim um, because our blue rods are not activated. Your blue... Um, the rods or the photoreceptors that are able to see blue light are only activated at nighttime. Um, so blue is quite dim during the day and then it is the brightest mm-hmm. that you can possibly have at nighttime because with night, our photoreceptors change over to blue um, and it's just so piercing. It's, it's <laughs> And the stimulating worst. for a baby. Yeah, so I can only assume that those people have been making those nightlights during the day, not realizing that they're actually used at nighttime when your photoreceptors have changed over. So, so we're, in saying that, red is the best color to use yes. at night for a nightlight. If you have to use a nightlight, use yeah. a red one. Yeah, so red is the opposite of blue. It's the lower spectral sensitivity at nighttime. And that is why we see red at the lowest. It's the reason that we have red and um, blue 
um, emergency lights because we can see them both in the day and the night. So um, the thing about night lights is there definitely is a time and place for them. So don't suddenly go and throw out your night lights because once your little one is a toddler and they develop imagination, you know, um, and they and they yeah. start, you know, kids at preschool or older siblings talk to them about monsters or whatever you know night lights are actually a really handy tool at this point because your yeah. little one probably is already in hopefully <laughs> pretty good sleep patterns but at that stage too the sleep pressure can be a lot higher because they're generally not napping as much in the day they're very active they're more exhausted so it's all right at that point to bring in a yeah. night light if you need to because it actually helps counteract a lot of those psychological and behavioral issues we start to see in toddlers yeah so after we've had a dark room what we want to do in the mornings of when we when we do get the baby up in the morning is make sure that we make it as bright as possible yes so to help regulate that circadian rhythm so taking your baby straight to the window making sure that the curtains are wide open making Mm -hmm. sure that there is natural sunlight coming in um and talking and stimulating and doing all of the things that we do during the day to help um have your baby you know understand the difference between day and night yeah that really helps lock in their circadian rhythm because as we said the light is such a key trigger so the dark triggers one thing and the light is triggering the other half of the circadian rhythm so if we move away from the light and the dark the next thing that is really important for us to look at and this is for a safety reason as well as for comfort, is the temperature in your little one's sleep environment. And and it's a little bit of a myth because it needs to be a bit cooler than you think. I think yeah. people automatically assume, I know I certainly did when my eldest was born, I knew nothing about babies, that you need to have a really warm nursery for your baby because they can't produce their own body they can produce their own body heat they just don't regulate it as well but um there's actually a a danger to that because babies you know a leading cause of um sudden infant death is overheating and so we have to be really careful in terms of the your little one's temperature for safety reasons but also because a slightly cooler room actually helps them to sleep better Yeah, so the ideal temperature range is around 18 to 20 degrees Celsius or 64 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, Mm. I even remember this myself, having the room at 18 degrees and thinking that it was really cold because when you're going in from the house, house. from a warmer Mm. room, you're going into the bedroom and it feels cold. Mm. But you've got to remember that during the night, during whilst we sleep, our body temperatures do decrease and this is key as well to why we need it at a lower temperature um that's right and it's and it's more i mean surely you yourself know i know myself i'm i always sleep better when the room is cold but i'm nice and warm yeah so you know like i've got like four thousand blankets on (laughs) because that's how i roll and the room is like freezing cold oh that is like the best And it's no different for our babies. And then, of course, as we said, it's actually a lot safer because there's no risk of them overheating. Yeah. And using things like a a fan or a heater or air conditioner to regulate the the temperature. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to use a thing called a heater mate, which was just Mm. a really simple device which um, plugged into the wall. It measured the temperature at the where the 
plug was and then the heater would be using its its own cord would be on the other side of the room and um the heater plugged the, into the heater mate yeah the heater plugged into the heater mate and it literally would just turn on and off the power to the heater depending on what the um to regulate the temperature now yeah, so it's like a thermostat although it is a thermostat, i feel like this but, was a while ago before those kind of room temperatures had their own thermostats i yeah, mean room yeah. heaters had their own thermostats you get well, fancier no, ones now <laughs> no i think i think it i think it actually still worked better than a heater with a thermostat because remembering this is actually oh, measuring yes, the temperature true. of the room rather than the temperature of the heater. right next to the heater right. yeah yeah that's one right, because we used to have it, you know, we'd have the heater on a really long cord on one side of the room. That's right. And you'd have the heater mate plugged into the wall quite close to where the baby was sleeping. So, yeah, you're right. You're more accurately measuring the temperature where your baby is yeah. rather than right next to the heater. I know that some of our consultants have used a similar thing um, from Amazon, which um, had a, like a Bluetooth um temperature recording thing or something Mm. I can't remember but it was very similar but there is a bit of a caveat here I did have my temperature monitoring section one time underneath like a draft because I hadn't shut the curtains properly Mm. and I didn't realize but what it was thinking that the room was getting cooler and cooler and cooler even though um, it was actually getting hotter and hotter because the the heater was getting turned on so much so yeah watching if you've got a a baby monitor with the temperature on the baby monitor make sure if you've got that as well as sort of a backup and making sure that you know you'd still do know what the temperature is in Mm. the room just so you've got a a, um you know a second a second um temperature reading is always useful and of course the advantage if you're trying to cool down the room the advantage of using things like a fan is that you're also getting the built-in white noise as well which is what we're going to talk about next is how white noise is one of the absolute gold standard baby sleep tools it's so underrated it's so easy um to create that like really peaceful zone for your little one to sleep because what it interestingly what it does and it does it more I think in younger babies is it you know like very small babies can only concentrate on one thing at a time at a time yeah that's right so if they're crying and they hear white noise that is louder than their cries their brain automatically starts listening to the white noise so then they will actually stop crying because they have to in order to listen to the white noise. So it initiates a calming response um, in their brains. It's truly amazing. The one that initiates the calming response is the shh Yeah, the repetitive um, shh track. Not so much the um, general white noises or anything, but the shh. Because you think we're naturally as humans, if you've got Mm -hmm. holding a crying baby, you're standing there shushing it, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's just a normal human response. Um, Yeah. So definitely using white noise mm-hmm. is, and it's played for the duration of yes. the baby's sleep, during yep. naps, during nighttime. And I know that there's going to be people out there that say, oh, you don't need to use white noise, you know, blah, blah, It'll make them rely on it. Who cares if they rely on it? If yeah. they're sleeping well, That's fantastic. Right. It's, it's easy. Of, it's not like it's they're easy. relying on you holding the, them in your arms for the entire sleep. Like, that's no. tough. That's a tough thing to rely on. And but, I can... Um, it, and the, it's the easiest sleep association to get mm-hmm. rid of if you want to. You just start turning it down when they're yeah. two or three years old. And to be honest, 
I still use white noise sometimes mm-hmm. when I need to go to sleep if my brain's overstimulated or whatever. Yeah. So it, it's so such an easy, mm-hmm. easy sleep association. My kids still ask, you know, my kids are, are a lot older. They ask to have, my yeah. 12 year old has a like an air purifier in her room and it makes a really good, similar to a fan, a white noise sound. And she, she turns on herself every night because she likes the sound of it. And my yeah. youngest well, likes to have the fan Don't you on. have a fan in your Yeah, bedrooms? we have a fan. We have a fan. My husband likes to sleep to the sound of the fan. And it's like, the fa- it's not hard. <laughs> what, like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually really quite peaceful. Yeah. It does. So the idea is it, it gives them something that to listen to so they can tune into what yeah. they're listening to in a house and zone out to anything else. The advantage, of course, of white noise is that when you're using it with a baby is that it, it also helps to mask any other sounds. So for us, yeah. it was crucial because we also at various points had babies and older children running around, sprinting around, in fact, being yeah. very TV loud and wild on and or uncontrolled. Or yeah, and, you know, the neighbours or the dog or well, yeah. whatever, you know. It people knocking on your door. Sounds. Yeah, oh. the Amazon delivery people, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Um, I think the, I think white noise is just so easy and so valuable. It's so valuable. We have all of the white noise tracks, obviously, mm-hmm. on our own sleep albums, which are on um, well all all streaming platforms. Because we straight away could see that this is such a it's like the best sleep tool that exists, and especially so course, the so baby we made sleep. A bunch. Yeah, yeah, especially the baby sleep. Shh. That's right. Sound that is actually magic. It by yeah. itself settled my babies more than I ever had yeah, to. I know. Ever. <laughs> so if you think you you're interested in in getting in looking at some white noise, find us on the streaming platforms, little ones, obviously. Um, we've got albums on there. We've got singles. Um, put them on repeat. Yeah. Put them on a little speaker or something in your little one's room. And you only need to, I mean, if your baby is crying, we generally would say to play the white noise or the whatever you're playing as loud as a shower would be. Yeah. If they're crying. And then when they stop crying, you generally we say to play it as loud as conversational speech when they're asleep. And people often say, oh, white noise is going to hurt their ears. Well, actually, in the womb, it's been recorded as being over 90 decibels, which is as loud as a vacuum cleaner. And that's for nine months. They have that. Yeah. So um, there's there's no evidence actually that suggests that using white noise for the duration of your little one's naps is damaging to their hearing, especially um, you're not using it at 90 decibels the entire time. No, like um, maybe you're using it like that if they're crying. I certainly yeah. know that or I if used they're to overtired. Turn, overtired. I used mm-hmm. to turn up the volume on the shh sounds when if they were going to sleep and they were crying, mm-hmm. um, just to help calm them. And honestly, less than a minute, they mm-hmm. are calm, quiet, and asleep in their cots. So yeah, white noise yeah. is so valuable. So valuable. So I guess let's move on to safety. Yes, um, aspects we'll just of the t- sleep environment. Touch on this because I think you know we have a bit of a responsibility to make sure we're conveying the right information to people. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of back and forward here about what's the best and the safest way for your baby to sleep, and and these regulations are taken from the World Health Organization. So and they seem to change um, over the years. So that's right. <laughs> I mean, in general. The advice is that your baby should be sleeping on their back 
until they're old enough to roll, um, until they're rolling onto their tummy, at which point I think they're generally strong enough if they can roll back between back and tummy, then they're okay to sleep however they choose to sleep. My Mm. son, for example, wouldn't sleep on his tummy for love nor money. And I think at times... I used to put him on his tummy to be like, are you actually ever going to sleep on your tummy? And still to this day at 10 years old, he's never once slept on his tummy. I kid you not. He Mm. sleeps flat on his back all night long and doesn't move. Whereas my girls are sort of all over the place all of the time. And they were as babies too. But the advice, especially when they're very small and definitely when they're still swaddled, is your baby needs to – and there's a saying and it's called back to sleep. So you put your baby back to sleep on their back to sleep. Yeah, and removing any sort of loose blankets or pillows yes. or stuffed animals, anything like that from Cot their sleep bumpers can yeah. be a big risk. So it's um, just keeping, because of course that, that those these are suffocation hazards, so it's keeping things away from their face, away from yeah. their body while they're sleeping. And they do recommend sleeping your baby on a firm, or relatively firm mattress, certainly not like a big floppy feather cushion. Um, because that also is a big suffocation hazard yeah and then with their blankets obviously Mm -hmm. rather than having loose blankets on them we would recommend to swaddle them during um, when they're not rolling and then of course from when they do start rolling moving into a sleeping bag which is a bag essentially that Buttons up, keeps their arms out free so that they can. It's like a blanket that they wear, sort of. Yeah. And they are fantastic. Then it Mm. means that your baby can roll all over the cot, be upside down, around (laughs) all the places. Half the time their legs are in the air, you know, but they are still warm. Whereas you can totally see how a blanket could have been wrapped around their face when you see how your baby sleeps. That's right. (laughs) And the good thing about um, the infant sleeping bags is that. You know, so once your baby's really ready to be unswaddled and transition into a sleep sack, maybe four, around four or five months old, they mm. can then be in a sleeping bag, sleep sack like that until mine were in it until they're about four because you can get toddler ones. Yeah. And these these things also work as positive sleep associations. So like with the dark, like with the white noise, your little one comes to associate the sleeping yeah. bag with the process of sleep. So it's a really positive step in your little one's sleep routine and then when you're eventually transitioning your your toddler from a cot or a crib into a a big kid bed keeping them in that sleeping bag actually really helps that transition go smoothly Hmm. because you're only changing one thing you're just changing the surface that they sleep Mm -hmm. on not the and you know to be honest your kids aren't able to manage blankets until they're quite a bit older your two-year-old your one-year-old two-year-old they're not able to wake up in the night and go, I'm cold, I'm going to pull my blankets up. And we see so much children of that age waking multiple times throughout the night. And then it turns out that they actually have blankets on. And even though they might have loads of appropriate layers of blankets, they're simply coming out of them in the night. They're not able to pull them up. They're just waking cold. And then over time, these become habit wakes and you get into a bit of a situation. So... Having your your little one in a sleeping bag is such, again, it's like the dark and the white noise. It's just such an easy, totally valuable sleep tool. And again, your your child is not going to become reliant on it. You will 
would you eventually be able to just put your child into a normal bed once yep, they grow right. older, once they're four or five years old, you mm-hmm. know, and they go into their big kid bed? They will just naturally be able to manage blankets. Cope with as, blankets. Yeah, yeah, as Nikki said. So don't worry about it creating a sleep association that no. strong. No. Um, it's actually it, the it, benefits it, far oh, outweigh the disadvantages. Far outweigh. Yeah. And making sure those um, swaddles, sleeping bags, or whatever you're using, that they are natural fibers, that mm-hmm. they aren't fleece or, you know, polyester. No. Because natural fibers, we know it helps with regulating temperature, our uh, body temperature, and it just will make sure that your baby is able to sleep in a much nicer, warm environment. More comfortable, yeah. And also, this also kills me, you know, like I see kind of like with the night lights and the musical mobiles, you see baby sleeping bags, you see swaddles and stuff made out of polar fleece mm. and, you know, that the that there's these sort of puffy sleeping bags, like duvet weight sleeping bags, but the, they're all um, polyester and they've got polyester fill and they're all made out of fleece. And while you think it looks warm and snugly, it's probably the worst thing you can put your child in because what generally happens with fleecy fabric like that is – there will be a point where your little where your little one gets quite hot and sweaty in it, so yeah. they sweat. But because the, f- the, the fabric's not breathable, the sweat stays against their skin, it cools down, it makes them cold, so you're stuck, and then they wake cold. So you get stuck in this kind of nasty, bad temperature-regulating cycle. Yeah. So merino, cotton, wool, bamboo, these are all really good choices for um, sleeping sleeping bags or swaddles for your little one yeah so I think we've we've probably talked about everything possible um, <laughs> to do with their sleep environment. I just well, let's just add a caveat here Amanda because of course the sleep environment doesn't necessarily mean your child's nursery it can no, it be the it's the room they are sleeping in and I know a lot of people certainly with younger babies have their babies still sleeping in their their room with them and that's fine and that's you know that that is also what is recommended at at a young age and doing this to your bedroom having Mm. the blackout curtains having the white noise is actually probably going to make you sleep a lot better as well yeah you'll be surprised you can thank us later (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure all right so by implementing these tips and strategies discussed Mm -hmm. in this episode you'll be well on your way to creating the ideal sleep environment that promotes restful night's sleep and for you and your baby as we as nikki just said yeah yeah so thanks for listening and make sure you check out our other podcasts you can also visit us on our website we've got Mm -hmm. loads of information on our website which is www.littleones.co and you can find us on the app stores and as we've already talked about in this podcast our white noise albums are on all streaming platforms come say hi on our social channels we would love to see you yeah and we will speak later bye see you later this is little ones the sleep manual podcast